This is Transistor.fm. This podcast is brought to you by Postmark. Postmark loves Build Your SaaS listeners. They even made this custom URL just for you, postmarkapp.com slash loves slash build your SaaS. What does Postmark do? They deliver your app's transactional email better than anyone else. If you've ever had to send a password reset email, a welcome email, uh, you know, all those emails your app needs to send and actually have delivered, Postmark does that. And right now, you can visit postmark.com slash loves slash build your SAS. Use the coupon code build your SAS to get a free month. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the behind-the-scenes story of building a web app in 2019. I'm John Buda, a software engineer. And I'm Justin Jackson. And I want to sell my shares in Transistor and start a uh, river rafting company. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) You want to join me? Why don't we both just sell our shares? Let's do it. Can I throw my computer out the window? (laughs) We we had a bunch of stuff happen last night. I, I'm not even really sure what happened because uh, I have this normal like uh, pattern yeah. of checking customer support before I go to bed at night. And yeah, I, I opened it up and noticed that you were uh, chatting with a bunch of people who were had run into some problems. I also made the mistake of checking it. I was actually... What time is this for you, by the way? This was like 11.30. Oh, okay. 11.30. So... I probably should have already been asleep by that. Okay, so this is already past your bedtime. You're yeah. You're already like in bed. You've calmed yourself down. You've you've had your your night tea. You've yeah. been you know done your little meditations. Yeah. And now you've got to get out of bed to yeah. deal with this. I already read a little bit. I was mm-hmm. like, okay. Good to then go. tell me what happened next. So we started to get emails of or yeah support messages about. Either the embeddable player not working or people who are trying to upload episodes and do stuff in the dashboard not working, all of which depends on JavaScript. And previous in the evening, I think it was like seven or eight o'clock at night, which was stupid. I deployed, I mean, you kind of want to do it when, I don't know, people aren't necessarily in the middle of the day, but where we serve people around the world. And so people are, you know, working kind of all day. Um, so I deployed a bunch of code that we had been testing on staging. One of which included an upgrade to rails six, which really wasn't, it wasn't a huge upgrade as far as like anything changing necessarily. We're not really using a lot of the new stuff that they have in it. I just kind of wanted to keep things up to date, but and everything seemed to work fine. Like I didn't notice any problems on my end, which is weird that I didn't because these people that were, you know, messaging us saying they were having problems were using Chrome on a Mac or yeah. Firefox on a Mac or something. You know, it's like the same exact technology we've been using. So what I'm still honestly not entirely sure what happened, but the customers were getting the new HTML served up to them, obviously through our web servers, which includes a reference to our JavaScript files, which are compiled on every deploy and um, read from the Rails app through our CDN and they're served through the CDN. So 
they were either seeing 404 errors of these files not being found, or they were somehow getting an older version of the file. But it, I don't know, it's it's really weird. I ended up having to just expire all of our JavaScript and CSS files manually, but something something in Rails was not working like I thought it should or it had in the past where each time you deploy it, you know, it bundles up JavaScript files into one file and sort of compresses it and, yeah. you know, removes white space and then adds a, what they call a digest into the file name so that each, if the contents of the file have changed, it gets a new file name so that the cache is automatically busted. And gotcha. And it, it, so what's what's supposed to happen is the browser is supposed to recognize that there's uh, a new version of that that JavaScript file. It's an entirely new file name. It's it's enti- like they shouldn't they yeah. shouldn't read a local a locally cached version of the file at all because it should be an entirely new file name. But that part of the deploy process didn't seem and it wrote a new file. It was just the exact same file name. And so our CDN was not reading a new version of the file. It's really weird because it was a new version of Rails. The files, the JavaScript files had changed. So the contents should have changed or the, even the, the time they were last modified, which should affect the, uh, the file name. So anyway, we got it working. It was just, it, those are the, those are the worst kind of bugs where like you really don't understand why it happened in the first place. Yeah. I mean it's it's like you're telling a computer to do a thing and it's not doing the thing. And so I was already yeah. tired and frustrated and I think I mentioned to you I'm like I'm just throwing my computer out the window. <laughs> See you in the morning. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean people under- oh, people man. understood and they were like they were nice about it. I think I think you were doing support from your phone cuz you have an iMac now, right? Yeah, but I no, I, I I was using my old oh, laptop okay. at home. So I, initially, I was doing it from my phone, and then I'm like, okay, this is weird, and because I I was testing things on my phone, and they were working for me, which is, that's the worst, where the customer is seeing something but you're not seeing it. I'm like, okay, let me just check this in multiple browsers on my laptop, and so I, I pulled out the old laptop and and. Uh, Started testing it and everything's working. Yeah. I'm like, what what is going on? Right. Here? It's like the the old the, the old works on, the works on my machine uh rationale of fixing a bug. Well, I don't know, works on my machine. It's fine. Yeah. I I'm almost wondering, like, so some of these folks, like, do you think they were caught in the deploy? Like they just happened to be using the site when we deployed? I don't think so. It was hours after the fact. Hmm. So they were interesting. Presumably, they were seeing the latest HTML because that code is what's being run, you know, through the web server. But yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, and I think what what is also tricky in this this modern age is um, we're leveraging caching. Actually, let me ask you one more question. Uh, I noticed that after you redeployed the site, it took longer to reload some of those pages, especially the analytics page, is that because you busted the cache that second time? That, that's a different issue. That's that's because every time we deploy, um, so there's two different caches we have. One is the cache that 
our CDN cache, which are for our file for JavaScript, CSS, and our image files. So those those yeah. get cached, kind of like they get cached on the CDN, but then they also get cached locally in the browser if nothing has changed. And then we have mm-hmm. another cache that's run on AWS, which is running in Redis, which is this like key value store that caches content that doesn't need to be re-rendered. So that's mm. actually where we cache things like your analytics. So so every you know in the background our analytics are constantly running and updating that cache. But then when I deploy, it's basically set right now to blow it away and then rerun it, but that takes a while. So like if you were if you have if I have deployed something and then you go to your analytics page it may not immediately load i mean after it's loaded it has already like primed the cache and set the data for you but that first load is slow unless it's already pre-cached behind the scenes so that's uh something different but (laughs) that i'll you know we're gonna we're working on analytics right now for this um for this uh period of work we're doing so that might you know might be part of that if i can fit it in is kind of improving how that works yeah yeah i mean caching in of itself is kind of an interesting area to to think about because that even what you just described we're we're caching things on well we can be caching things on multiple servers in multiple ways using multiple services right yeah. because we we cache some stuff using cloudflare we cache some stuff using a uh, our do, do we cache some anything on aws or no none of the none of the assets are on aws um okay. we're caching so we're caching yeah, like we're ca- block basically like chunks of html are cached in redis and then read out of it so that they don't have to be re-rendered so it's a lot faster yeah and then also the browser is caching things locally right it's amazing that any of this works at any of the time at all i know (laughs) it is (laughs) and then and then often like the the platforms we build these things on are also caching things in different ways right right I'm even thinking of Statomic will cache things. Uh, and yeah, so th- there's all this. And caching is an I- incredible idea. Like the. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great idea for performance. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but it can be a little frustrating. No, I mean, it's just going to take some, a little bit of research to see like kind of what happened and how we can get around it. I think the the main takeaway is just don't deploy after 1 p.m. or something. (laughs) (laughs) Which I should know, but... Oh, man. Yeah, I I, I think the lesson also is, like, when those things are happening, I mean, it's a little bit easier for me because uh, the the weight of all that isn't on me. Um, But I've been in those situations and I know what that feels like, like, oh, my God, and you're just you're going you're just going through every scenario you can think of to fix it. But on the other hand, it's also nice to just go, well, you know, these are just computers and this is just the Internet. And this is just yes, it's important for our customers, but nobody is going to die. Yeah, nobody is going to like these. um, We obviously don't want to make customers upset, but. There's there is a little bit of um, 
you know, uh, solace knowing that it, it's going to be all right. Yep. <laughs> Ultimately, we're going to be okay. But yeah, I'm glad we got it at least figured out. Although I guess now we got to dig in and and, and yeah, you know, what what is the root cause? Yeah, it's it's really bizarre. Something changed somewhere in some something with Rails or one of the gems that handles like all the assets and stuff. So um, yeah, we'll yeah. see. And just working through that that is tricky. because now you've got to, you've got to go through the kind of the whole. Are you going to, is it the, what are you looking at? Are you looking at the deployment pipeline or are you just looking at every gem? Are you just scouring GitHub yeah, issues? Yeah, it's the, it's the deployment pipeline. And I, I know, I know what I, yeah, it's GitHub issues. I know what I want to search for, which is basically like, how do you force the assets to have a new file name mm-hmm. when you want them to? Yeah. Rather than. Mm-hmm whatever at the whim of whatever rails is doing. Um, yeah. So I kind of know at what point that happens and what, at what point I'd like to be able to override some stuff if I need to, but, um, yeah. Part of me is, is glad that we experienced this cause it, I learned something, <laughs> but it's, it's also like something I have experienced before. It's just that you, for, it happens so infrequently that you forget about it. And then you waste another, and you waste an hour like coming back to the same like conclusion or answer that you had years ago. Now you'll just be able to in the future you'll say, "Hey Siri, remind me what happened last time." Uh, go through my personal archive, Siri. Yeah, or I'll write something into our code base that every time I deploy, it just yells at me to check <laughs> the file. Uh, <laughs> sweet. Yeah. Why don't I talk a little bit about our friends at Clubhouse? Clubhouse is back sponsoring the show, and we're really excited, mostly because now they have this really generous free plan that is perfect for bootstrap startups. Uh, For teams up to 10 people, you get Clubhouse for free forever. Uh, So, I mean, you know, maybe John and I stay a a two person company for 20 years. We could use Clubhouse for free for 20 years. Uh, but if we decide to, you know, grow and take over the world, uh, then we can pay when it makes sense to do so. So if you want to sign up for Clubhouse now, we've already had tons of people on Twitter reach out and say they've, they signed up because of this. Clubhouse.io slash build is the URL to use. Awesome. Yeah, that's still super awesome they did that. Very, very helpful. Um, so... Just on my side, one thing that I did yesterday is I emailed our big list about private podcasts. Yeah. Which felt good. I I, I realized I, I had been on a monthly cadence uh, around kind of like the 12th to the 15th of every month. I'd been sending one, but I didn't send one in October. And so uh, nice to get back on that uh, kind of mid-month routine of sending out something to the big yeah. list. So that was our entire, that was our big, a big list, right? It wasn't targeted to any one particular group. Yeah, it wasn't targeted. This was just everybody. So I I previously sent out an email just to folks on the $49 and $99 tier. And uh, we had some folks that started using the private podcasting feature because of that. And then this was, okay, let's get everybody on our list. 
which is mostly people who have signed up for an account at some point. But we we also used to have just a public newsletter sign up, uh, like a waiting list before we launched. Uh, so this list has evolved over time. And uh, so I think it's about 2,900 people or something like yeah. that. Do we Do we ever look at how, like, do we track the open rates? Do we actually look into that and see if it's actually people are still reading it? Yeah. So, I mean, open rates, I actually had a tweet storm about this the other day, which is we often use data to make decisions, but we don't very often examine the data we're using to make decisions. And so open rates and links, click-through rates and emails can vary, but it's not always because less people are opening or less people are reading. It's because the what is tracking those things, uh, sometimes they become less effective. So there's a tracking pixel in an email that when you open it, uh, if you load images, we can track, oh, that person opened the email. And if they click on a link, we can track that as well. But there's all sorts of ways for people to block that stuff. Those stats seem to be most helpful when you look at them as a trend over time. So... Overall, are we at about the same open rate as we normally are? And if there's ever a spike, like if something ever really, you know, your a normal open rate, let's say, is 30%. That's like confirmed open rate. And then if it spikes to 50%, you might go, oh, wow, that's that's interesting. What happened there? But most of the time, it just hovers around the same open rate. And uh, every once in a while, I'll go in and I'll just, uh, call the list. Anyone who hasn't really opened anything in the last, you know, five emails or something, I'll just yeah. remove them. Uh, so, yeah, it, I mean, it, what I generally try to look at is how many responses do I get to those emails or how many people mention the, those those uh, those emails and then how many people do something because of the email? Right. That seems to be more important than if they just open it, right? I mean, we obviously we got a lot of mm-hmm. responses. I, I mean, I, I hand, mm-hmm. we got a handful of responses I noticed about questions about wanting to upgrade, yeah. or, which is great. So obviously it worked. Increasingly, especially as we become more sensitive to tracking and, um, you know, our personal privacy and things like that, I... I mean, uh, Superhuman, that that big you know, fancy email s- startup that everyone uh, kind of gushes about, yep. they got into some hot water about this, right? Um, they they had o- they were tracking opens and clicks in their software, yeah. and this has been a default in email marketing software forever, email newsletter software forever. And I mean, some people complained about it, but the blowback they got from that was in some ways surprising to me because this is this is something that you know people have been doing forever uh it's not it's not a new thing and uh they eventually i think they removed it or they removed it as a default it's going it's an interesting time for people especially people who previously really liked using data to make decisions yeah it, i think we're almost going back to the old school of you know, where you would you would spend a bunch on advertising, uh, and the old joke was, you know, uh, 
I know half my advertising doesn't work, but I don't know which half, right? <laughs> you, 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 so you, you still got to spend all the money just to get that 50% that does work. I, I think my thinking on this has evolved early in my career in marketing. I wanted all the data <laughs> because it, it made it, it, you at least had a way of making decisions, right? And it was right. also sometimes just nice to report to your boss, like, hey, here's what, <laughs> here's what the data it's shows. It's something, yeah, but it just feels so, I don't know. Now it feels like really impersonal and kind of gross. It's like potential customers you're, you want to reach are just like numbers and they probably have weird terms for them like, I don't know. Yeah, 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 exactly. It it does depersonalize things. And so, yeah, I think I'm, I am shifting more to, okay, when we do something, when we send an email newsletter, when we publish a podcast, when we publish a blog post, when we make an announcement, the what we should be looking at is the responses to that. And... You know, if it's a product launch or a feature launch, we're looking at, okay, responses is one piece, but then how many people actually convert? How many people upgrade in, in this case because of private podcasting? Mm-hmm. And um, there's also a timeline for that, right? So people might have heard us talking about it three months ago, and then they might have seen the email newsletter in passing and said, oh, you know, I really got to look into that at some point. And then six months later, they're in a meeting and the boss says, we want to do a private training podcast. And they go, oh, yeah. And that's when they sign up. There's multiple yep. touch points along the way. So, yeah, I think what, what's encouraging is that we, we have gotten some responses and we have gotten some people who want to upgrade, which is great. Uh, but I, I do think this is a kind of a bigger topic in general, which is uh, especially in marketing, what data do we use to make decisions? Maybe we also need to look back in the past and go, you know, that data we were looking at before to make decisions, was that data good? <laughs> or was that data meaningful? Um, you know, Facebook, There, I, I put this in the, the tweet thread too, but Facebook is in a lot of trouble right now because they overestimated the number of views videos were getting by uh, a, a huge factor. I think it was up to 150 times or something. Which I don't understand. Did they just make a number up? I mean, they obviously track it. They just, did they just, they just inflated it artificially? Well, who knows? But this is why how the... Like, unfortunately, most people don't look at the data and how you got the data with any sort of rigor. So we see page views and we just accept that as fact. Or we see, we see video views and we just accept that as fact. But in Facebook's case, like scrolling by a video might have counted as a view. Oh, yeah. And so, but publishers were making big decisions based on that data. They were saying, whoa, Facebook video is blowing up. And a lot of companies changed their business model, switched entirely to Facebook and in some ways, you can't blame them because, you know, they, they see these big numbers and they go, well, this has got to be like, we got to go where the engagement is. But 
I, I think the lesson learned is you've, you have to go beyond engagement. It can't just be page views, podcast listens, uh, video views, email opens, clicks. What happens after? So if you put out a podcast, how many people respond on Twitter? Right. Which, by the way, if anyone's still listening right now, if you could reach out to us on Twitter and just say, hey, right now, I, I heard you guys talking about that. Uh, we always appreciate it when people reach out. So, yeah, the, it, it, those, that's kind of how we have to, to gauge things. And from a business perspective, I think this is important, too, because, um, you know, in the past, I've launched things where it felt like I was getting initial traction because there was a lot of attention. There was a lot of views. There was a lot of clicks. But ultimately, that stuff doesn't matter. You could have a billion views and only get one sale. That is completely possible. Yeah, there's something. Yeah, there's something wrong there. If it's you get a ton of views and nobody actually cares about what they're viewing or wants to move forward. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So it'll be interesting. Uh, I, I think this is one topic that the bootstrap community is for sure going to be talking about is, uh, you know, marketing data. How do we make decisions? Is our data any good? Um, what, what, um, what data points should we be making decisions based on? And, uh, I also think there, there's a, uh, a tendency to go, oh, well, a million page views. That's interesting. But my friend Malin, uh, who is a data scientist, uh, he, he has a saying where he says, any, um, any like data point you have should be a ratio, meaning you compare it to something else. So we have a million page views. Well, that's not significant on its own as compared to what? Right. As compared to last quarter, as compared to other companies of our size, as compared to our industry, as compared, you know, as compared to what? What what is the uh, you know, to make that that meaningful, it can't just stand on its alone on its own. We can't just say, well, this podcast gets 5,000 listens every episode. Okay, well, why is that important? Yeah, does anyone respond to us? Does anyone actually care and listen? Mm-hmm. I also think we we don't go far enough because sometimes we'll say, well, as compared to last quarter. Okay, but um, maybe last quarter there was 3,000 Russian bots, um, you know, working away, and those have been filtered out. Right. <laughs> so, like, what's happened to your data since last quarter? We don't ask those questions. We, we're just like, well, the numbers are up or down. We have to dig deeper, right? Um, and this happens on Google Analytics. People go, oh, wow, look at all these new page views I got. And then it's like, okay, well, let's really dig in. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> is that is that even... Yeah, what are they... What are these people doing when they got there? Are they talking about it? Are they are they tweeting mm-hmm. a link to it? Are they sharing it? Are they exactly? I I mean, there's people on Twitter who have way more followers than I do, but when I look at their tweets, their their tweets get no responses, and so obviously follow, follower count isn't an interesting metric on its own. 
if your metric for success is, well, but how much engagement do I get? Do I get and do I get a bunch of replies when I when I tweet something? Is it is it, you know, moving people in any sort of way? That's what matters. Yeah, right. I mean, you can yeah, you can yell into the void as much as you want, but if no one's listening, then who cares? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or if a billion people are listening but not reacting, then who cares? Yeah. Right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so and and this is why revenue is it's a very blunt metric, but it is it ultimately it's kind of like the best metric because it's like, okay, well, things are up or they're down, right? We're either getting Yeah, I mean yeah, people yeah. I've had a lot of people ask me like how many how many uh paying subscribers do you have? I'm like, I have honestly I don't know. <laughs> how many mm-hmm. podcasts do you host? Yeah, uh, a few thousand, but I don't really know because what we've been looking at is the revenue and is this going to work for us to like make a living? And- mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and certainly once our growth slows down, we're going to be uh, looking at different metrics. Like we're going to be optimizing different things and that's where we'll go. Okay. Uh, there seems to be a correlation between the number of podcasts somebody starts and their lifetime value as a customer mm-hmm. And we might try to, you know, leverage some of that information. <laughs> but I, I, I'm just looking back over my career, and every time we got really fancy with the data, and we started, we tried to make decisions based on like a, a really sophisticated model. <laughs> it it just it ended up not, you know, which can be frustrating when, you know, you're not growing, and you're just like, why are we not growing? Like what? What is causing this? Because you want an answer. Like, and, and then that's where you might go into the data and go, okay, well, it's got to be right. page views. Page views are down. Yeah. So <laughs> if we just increase page views, then it'll help. But then you go out and you just, you know, you, you launch on Product Hunt and you get a bunch of page views that don't matter. You write, you write a bunch of, of, of click, clickbaity headlines. Yeah, you, you launch a bunch. Yeah, exactly. So... Uh, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to hear what people think. Um, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, any? Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I, I thought we could maybe briefly touch on what else is going on in the podcast industry. I think you might you might be following the industry more than I am. So what what is, Justin, what is happening in the industry? <laughs> uh, now a podcast industry. You mean update. there's other people besides us? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and... Uh, this would be another good topic is how much do you pay attention to your industry? In some ways we have not, like we are not podcast industry people. No. Um, like we, uh, not saying, yeah, I, I don't know how to like, we're not, that we're not, further, at, but, we're not at the conferences. We're not, I don't, yeah, I don't. And not saying that we're not going to like, we love podcasters. We know a lot of podcasters. We are podcasters. But there's this kind of traditional industry that's been going for a while that grew out of the the blogging um, industry. And to be honest, like the make money online kind of blogging industry that morphed into what became kind of the quote unquote podcast industry. And uh, there's some amazing people in in there, but we've just never really identified with it. But what's I still like to kind of see what's going on because... Uh, oh, I just listened to that Daniel Eck uh, interview. 
He's the founder of Spotify. So many interesting things. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, which which podcast was that? Uh, I I can't remember. <laughs> it was he's he's being interviewed by a, a VC type guy. Uh-huh. There's some insights in there that maybe actually after we read the Patreon supporters, I'll get Chris to put in some some clips that I I saved. Just some interesting things to hear how he's thinking about audio. Mm-hmm. Thing I'm trying to convey is to think very, very clearly about who it is you're addressing and not go too big too early, but actually be incredibly focused on who your customer is and who your supplier is. Also charging for something that in the mind of a consumer, it's something that I get for free. So you have to build a ton of things behind it in order to change that expectation set, which I think is very difficult to do. We didn't go about it that way. We we went about it by creating this. I'm very much about starting from the end and reason backward how you get there. So it was very clear from the beginning to me that the magic experience would be what if you had all the world's music on your hard drive? That's the feeling we wanted to invoke. Let's try it. And then you use the evidence from that experiment with Swedish labels yes. to sell or close the more significant labels yeah. in the U.S. and elsewhere. Yeah, 100%. And one of his comments was, if you are really pursuing growth, you need to have at least a third of the market. And I don't think we are into that, but here's what's happening in the industry. Libsyn's revenues continue to increase. I'm reading from podnews.net right now. Uh, Libsyn earned uh, $10.5 million in revenue in the first nine months of 2019. This is just for their podcast business. They also have a website hosting business. It's up 14% from uh, last year. So last year was 9.2 million. Hmm. Libsyn has 67,000 podcasts on its platform. Oh, so they're like a fifth or a sixth of what's on Apple Podcasts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're probably a sixth, but actually maybe maybe they're only a seventh because now folks are saying 750,000, 800,000. So they're... I would say, actually, that. see, now we talk about data again. As a percentage, is Libsyn going up or down? Uh, my guess is they're, they're, as a percentage, they're going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. So they, they are growing that in terms of revenue. Uh, and I think for us to be tracking and going, okay, well, if they grow, grew 14% um, in the first, in Q3, we should be growing at roughly the same rate if we're just going to be tracking with the rest of the industry. And um, I mean, that could be one question we ask. There's right. <laughs> may, maybe that's the wrong question to ask. I think it's also interesting that we have roughly uh, 4,000 podcasts. Actually, maybe it's 4,200 now. And so our rate of growth compared to Libsyn is also interesting. We should be growing faster i think in terms of um yeah probably because they're they're probably dealing with a lot of people leaving and wanting to switch if because they've i don't know they've been around for a long time maybe haven't changed a lot although i I don't really know because i've never used i've never used them but well well, they're in the hardest place there that rodney mullen the the pro skateboarder says being number one is the worst place to be because you're always defending yeah (laughs) he's like when he was like 
in in our stage, like the the scrappy the scrappy stage of like trying to beat everybody else. He loved it because you're you're always making progress, right? You're like you're just trying to catch up to the person who's in front of you. Yeah, you know you know what you know what the goal is. Yes, you. But once you're number one, it just switches. Now you're just trying to not lose your number one place. Right. And on so on one hand, you want to be conservative because you don't want to shake the boat too much. But on the other hand, you want to be, you know, trying new experiments and, you know, like it, it'd be really hard for Libsyn to change its UI at this point because that for, for sure there would be a backlash, oh, sure, right? Yeah. And they, they are, well, along with Spotify, they're, they're the only two companies that are public, I think, are traded on the stock market. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So they certainly have different concerns, which is, I think, why we know what their revenue is, because they have to report it. But mm-hmm. um, I think I think Megaphone, I should check. I, is Megaphone publicly traded? They might be, because they came out of Slate. Oh, maybe. But actually, I think uh, I got to check into that. But yeah, so we can actually, it would be interesting to dig into that and <laughs> see if they're making profit and, right. uh, you know, where are they spending their money and all that. But yeah, that's kind of what's happening in the industry. Uh, I will be concerned, I think, if if the leader stops growing in the sense that just they are not attracting any new customers, that would be a concern for me. <laughs> that would be a uh, a leading indicator that the podcast industry as a whole is slowing down. Yeah, so it, it is something to kind of keep an eye on, I think. Um, and maybe dig into a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Oh, we one last thing is we 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 did some pair programming yesterday, and <clears throat> we relaunched the podcast preview tool, which is uh, a little something I I built. Uh, I think six months ago, it allows you to search your Apple Podcast category like country music, and then upload your cover art and your show title and see how you compare to all of the top shows in that category. Uh, And kind of based on like what it looks like next to them all. Yeah. So I, the way I always think about it, like if I was going to test a consumer product, I would, you know, a new bottle of ketchup, I would bring it to the supermarket and I would put it up against Heinz and see, uh, you know, first of all, how it compares and then see how many people choose, mine compared to Heinz. Uh, so many of these decisions seem to be based on what the label looks mm-hmm. like. And so if you want to see kind of how you match up to um, other shows in your category, transistor.fm slash preview. Awesome. All right, man. Good show. Let's uh, let's thank the people who support us on Patreon. Yeah, thanks, everyone, as always. Uh, we have Eric Lima, James Sowers from userinput.io, Travis Fisher, Matt Buckley from NiceThings.io, Russell Brown, Evandro Sassi, Pradyumna Schimbecker, Noah Prale, David Colgan, Robert Simplicio, David Gray from, or Colin Gray from Alitu.com, Josh Smith. Do you want to always say David Gray because of uh, the, the musician? I guess, I but I haven't listened the... to him in like a decade. I don't know why I would do that. <laughs> What ha- what happened to David Gray? He 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 had a that big album and he disappeared. I don't know. Did he just burn out? Maybe he made so much money he just just he just left. He changed his name to Colin and started a podcast company. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, we have Josh Smith, Ivan Krakovic, Brian Ray, Miguel Pedrafita, Shane Smith, Austin Loveless, Simon Bennett, Michael Sitver, Paul Jarvis, and Jack Ellis. Who just signed up to be Transistor customers. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Dan Buda, my brother. DanBuda.com. Uh, Darby Frey, Samori Augusto, Dave Young, Brad from Canada, Sammy Schuchert, Mike Walker, Adam Devander, Dave Junta. Junta. I, w- I was thinking about names for conferences the other day. <laughs> like I was like, oh, it'd be cool if we, we teamed up with Basecamp in Chicago and did a Calm Conf, you know, calm like Conf, Calm yeah. Company. Um, uh, but, but now I think really to stay on brand, we need to have Junta Conf. Yeah. <laughs> I think we could get Dave in on that. Yeah. It's just Dave's the whole the speaker for the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Dave's like either on stage or signing autographs. Those are the that that's the whole yeah, thing. That'd be great. I'll have to ask. <laughs> okay. Uh, Kyle Fox from getrewardful.com and our sponsors this week, Postmark and Clubhouse. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next week. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.